is um, the real deal. Man, I love that woman right there. So uh, glad that you are here. Go ahead and uh, if you don't have your notes, get them. Uh, you'll need a pen or a pencil uh, if you're going to use the notes for the fill in the blanks. It also, um, let, me, let me combine two, two quick things. Um, we've got uh, some information out in the foyer that I sent in our newsletter yesterday addressing um, the coronavirus. And so I know we've had a few people ask us, hey, um, what will we do if? So first of all, let me, let me address that. That's a big if, right? right. So we want to plan and we want to be proactive, but we also don't want to go beyond what something is. So, so let me give you a, like a big for instance right now. The flu is far more dangerous and far more impacting, but it's been around so long, nobody talks about that right now. Uh, coronavirus is serious, no question about it. Um, and you can see as it has done different things in different parts of the globe that it's a serious issue. Um, I do think that it's an election year, and because of that, politicians in particular are using this as a, um, as a weapon to hurt each other with it. Uh, you know, the incumbent uh, is, is not ready and not responsible, and then those who want to be um, are claiming that they have a better answer. And so they're going to use it, and because of that, the press is going to play it up more and more and more, right? So you've got to realize a certain part of it is emotional, but a certain part of it is legitimate too. So what's Jubilee's response to that? How, how do we treat it? So just a couple things that you know. Man, um, our regular way to clean the church is to disinfect it. We do that every week uh, to all of the toys that are downstairs, to all of the walls, every place that your kids go uh, in the sanctuary. They've, they've put up this week, I don't know if you noticed it coming in, but they've put up those motorized um, uh, hand, sand, sand, hand things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> germ-killing things. So, um, it, it, and, and we would see it sort of as a step thing, too, um, if it did turn out to be where um, quarantine was, was something that had to be dealt with. So, you know, here's the news for us, is that we have a very sophisticated online presence. And so, if it ever came down to where, you know, we couldn't meet together for a certain amount of time, because there was a quarantine issue. I mean, God forbid. But we have an online presence where so, so more than a 1,000 people last weekend alone watched the message online. A 1,000 people. It's, it's, it's almost as large as our church that meets over a weekend, honestly. Um, and those are not just people who visit the website. Our software allows us to tell what someone does on the website. So those are a 1,000 actual tracks of people who watched the message last weekend. So our online presence is very sophisticated, including worship. So if it came down to it, we, we have a way that we could do it. It's not the preferable method. This is. But um, just, just so, say all that to say this. Uh, first, if you have not enabled uh, yourself, if you're on, like, the app and you haven't... Um, allowed it to be able to send things to you. You have to check that on there so that things can get through to you so that you're aware. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, sign up for the newsletter so that you get things like this. And in, just in case you're like, okay, pastor, I'll do that, but I haven't done it yet, out there in the foyer, 
is the newsletter that we sent. If you'd like to pick it up and read it, it's got a couple of ideas of things you can be doing, things that we're doing proactively, and then steps that we would take if you're curious about that. So um, just be aware of that right there. Um, I think that's all I'm going to do uh, for announcements. Let's got a lot of scripture here. Um, let me let me um, let me do this. It's it's our series is called Life Hack. It's the last message in that series. Um, we'll move on into a new things starting next weekend. Um, here's, here's something really, really cool that I, wanna, I just want to share with you and talk from my heart for a second. Um, so uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this past week, your staff and um, some of the leaders uh, inside of your church fasted for four days and met together all of those days to pray over you. We fasted for you. We weren't fasting for ourselves. Yes, we wanted to be included in it, but we were fasting for you. And we just decided what we were fasting for. We just decided to say breakthrough. Why breakthrough? Because if I were to go to each person in here, Chris kind of mentioned it a moment ago. If we were to say to each person, hey, what do you need God to do in your life? There would be a different thing almost for every person in here, right? And so we just decided to title that Breakthrough. The idea of God breaking through whatever that, that barrier is that keeps that thing from happening. And so she mentioned that maybe uh, for some of us it would be finances. Maybe for some of us it's health. Maybe for some of us it's, it's in a marriage relationship. Maybe it has something to do with a, a dream or a hope or something that you're, you're believing God for. Maybe it's something that's personal and private. We don't need to know what it is. God knows what it is. Our job just simply is to pray and to fast and believe God. So I just want you to know, as a staff, we fasted for four days and prayed over you every day. And we would meet at nine and we would just spend an hour in worship together and just seeking God's face and listening to what the Holy Spirit was saying. So it's just a really powerful time. Just re- God is doing more with this staff currently right now than in the history, 22 years of our church. It's just the most amazing time that we're experiencing. Why does that bode well for you? Because so goes the leadership, so goes the church. So I just believe that um, I, so I had a picture, I felt like it was a word from the Lord, of like coming to a cliff's edge, but it wasn't a bad thing. And I felt like the Lord was jump. And here was the jump. Jump into me. And, and the cliff idea was this, that if, you'll, if you're willing to go over, there's no way back. So eliminate all the other options. Jump into me and watch what I'll do for you. And I just felt like it was a picture for our church that I would encourage you with. Man, eliminate all the other options and all the other things that you think uh, are where you're going to find life at and dive into Jesus. That's where you're going to find life at. And all the answers for everything that you need, even if you're not sure about this, trust me right now, all the answers for everything that you need is found in Jesus. The Bible says all blessing comes from the Father. So all good things that you have in life come from our Father. So the message, the last one is called Life Hack, and I'm going to title it Life Hack for Breakthrough. So a life hack is, just in case you haven't been here, a life hack is a shortcut, a skill or a skill set, or a method that increases productivity and efficiency in a particular walk of life. So here, here's the thought, like um, learning how to be more efficient, learning a shortcut uh, for something, learning how to, to do something more effectively. That's important. Um, you know, anytime you can, you can do better, that's, that's a good thing, right? But here, here maybe is the most important thing to kind of split, like why are you teaching this from the pulpit? Self-help things are wonderful, but do they need to be at the pulpit, right? 
Self-help, maybe that's an Anthony Robbins thing that you would go to, not in the pulpit. Uh, And so many churches today don't preach about Jesus. They preach about how to have a better life. And while I think that God wants us to have a better life, the truth of the matter is life is found in Jesus, not in this world. And so churches have to be careful in what they're teaching and how they're teaching. So the only reason I even say this to you, like, Pastor, uh, trying to get better. That's the nature of the message. No. I'm talking about life hacks on spiritual things, how to become more effective in spiritual things, how how to find a way to be more productive in the things of God. So today we're going to talk about a life hack when it comes to breakthrough. Now, I, I need you to know this. I wrote the message right in the middle of the fast, and because of that, I was in this great spiritual place, and I've got half the Bible uh, in scriptures. <laughs> I, I was like, I was so excited. I would read it. The next verse was better than the one I was reading, and then the next one. So I'm just like, I can't. Not. So I, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I'm not going to apologize for having the Bible uh, in the message, but it's a lot of scripture. So I'm going to just do this. Um, see if you can keep up, yep. right? And if you cannot, you can always go online and re-listen to all of our stuff. It's always free, uh, and it's, um, it's cataloged on the website. So, uh, life hack for breakthrough coming out of this fast. Why would you want breakthrough? Let me give you three things that I think might be common denominators of things that, uh, regardless of what that breakthrough issue is that you feel like you need, let me give you three things that I think we all, in some way, need a breakthrough uh, in. And if it's not maybe just for you specifically, maybe you know someone, maybe you're related to someone, maybe you love someone that needs a breakthrough, right? So maybe this is a way to learn how to pray for these things and to believe God for these things. So the first one, if you want to write it down or use the online notes, the first one is um, breakthrough with demonic harassment. Demonic harassment. One of the most powerful stories that Jesus um, ever participated in were were the stories when he would have a direct confrontation with the enemy. And the thing that I want you to realize, man, Jesus never lost a fight. Jesus is is a thousand and zero. How would you like to be, you know, uh, 1,200 and oh, you just never lose, right? And my point simply is that whenever Jesus confronted the enemy, it was never good versus evil. Even the enemy, whenever he was in the presence of Jesus, automatically realized he had lost the battle. And everything that the enemy said to Jesus was always about, why are you torturing me? You're doing this before the appointed time, meaning that the devil already knows he's defeated, but he knows it's coming at a later date when the finality of that thing takes place. So he would tell Jesus, hey, you're doing this before you're supposed to be doing it. And Jesus never negotiated with the devil, like, okay, I'll give you a little more time. Jesus would always win the battle. So why, why even point that out to you? Because everything in scripture is there as an example for how we are to live our life. So when it comes to dealing with the enemy, you never have to negotiate. You never have to surrender. You never have to put up with, tolerate. You never have to allow yourself to become uh, uh, used to the devil winning in your life. You have authority because of who you are in Christ. And if you will exercise that authority and get to know more and more who you are in Jesus, you also can win every battle of confrontation. Every one of them. You don't have to lose one of them. So one of the most powerful stories that comes with Jesus uh, in a direct confrontation with the enemy. uh, Mark chapter 5. And this story right here. They uh, are the disciples in Jesus in a boat. They arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus climbed out of the boat. A man possessed by an evil spirit came out uh, from a cemetery to meet him. 
The man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him day and night. He wandered amongst the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him with a shriek. So now the demonic uh, force presence that has taken over this person's life, right? This, this de- demonic uh, uh, angel uh, screams at Jesus, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, in the name of God? Now the devil's using the name of God. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. This does not sound like someone who, who thinks they might win a conflict, does it? It sounds like someone who already understands I'm beaten and is now just negotiating for a little extra time. Right? Is that how you see this? Okay. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And the spirit replied, uh, legion. Legion literally means thousand because there are many of us inside this man. Uh, then the evil spirit begged him again. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't command Jesus. He begs Jesus. Notice the language. He begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs fitting on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs. I mean, the devil, he's so beaten. Let us live in the pigs. That's the best negotiation tactic he can come up with. Allow us to live with the pigs. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. So maybe Jesus is doing two things at once. He's getting rid of the demonic, and he's getting rid of the pork that wasn't supposed to be in Israel in the first place. So it's a two-for-one deal. Then the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Watch what they see. These three things. One, he was sitting there, not howling, not naked, not living amongst the dead. Let me just point something out to you real quickly. This man's life is so messed up that he was more comfortable around dead things than he was around live things. Do you think when he was a little boy, his greatest aspiration was to live his life this way? What do you think his parents' hope for this kid was? We we read the story only from the point of view of the moment. But this was someone's son. This was someone, he was loved. He was cared for at one time. His parents had plans for him. And this is the condition of his life. The Bible doesn't tell us what he did that opened himself up to this demonic infiltration, this demonic influence, and the end of the, the, the matter is where he's living his life from. It's just this dead, horrible place. But you have to know at one time, this was not the guy's ambition. But something happened that sidetracked him, that put him in this position where the enemy is having a field day. And it's so weird that the guy doesn't even want to be around life. He wants to be around death. So maybe the way that we know that the enemy's having an influence in your life or around your life, if you find things dying instead of living, 
If you find things shrinking and not uh, prospering and not in a fertile place, if it's, if it's just dry and it's arid and it, nothing can happen no matter what you do, look at me. If you can put your finger on it, okay. If one plus one equals two, fine. But when stuff is going on in your life and you cannot put your finger on why, realize what it is. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. So this, this, this person, after Jesus deals with the demonic, the breakthrough is he's sitting there, clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. So he's sitting there, he's got his dignity back, and he's in his right mind. When Jesus gives you a breakthrough, he replaces everything that's been stolen. Now I think this is really powerful for this, that when Jesus taught about what the enemy does, in John 10, Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and So if you find in your life at any given time uh, things that are being stolen, taken away, dreams, hope, vision, relationships, your children, uh, your health, if you find things being stolen from you. Now, if you can put your finger on it, okay, I did this and that caused this, then work on that. But if you look around and things are being taken and you can't fit, I'm doing, I don't know what this is. What I have learned in my life is that when you can't put your finger on it, there's usually a spirit behind it. And that's why you can't see it. And what makes the enemy very effective is that he stirs things up. And because you don't recognize it's the enemy, you fight with flesh and blood. You think if you can get your hands on it. But you cannot fight a spiritual battle in a physical way. We've got different weapons that we're supposed to use in order to combat the enemy. So my point simply is this. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you find something being stolen, missing, uh, taken away, uh, if, if things are being destroyed, uh, it's literally falling apart, and it can be in a physical way, an emotional way, uh, uh, you know, something that's, that's in your heart that's you know, just, just being destroyed, um, if you find something that's just, um, you know, death is happening. And when I say death, I don't mean just like physically someone died, but I mean the death of hope and the, the death of a dream, the death of, of belief, the death of your faith, right? When that's happening in your life, it's not the proof that you're losing the battle. It's the proof that you have an enemy. Jesus said, this is what the enemy does. So when it's happening, it's fruitless to get mad at the fact that it's happening. It's fruitful to do something about what's happening. And you have authority. This story is in the Bible because you have authority. When Jesus is with the disciples on the lake and the storm comes up, Jesus' response is to stand up to rebuke the wind and the waves and to speak peace over the situation. What we do when a storm comes up is to say, Jesus, show up or I'm going to sink. I think what Jesus would say to you is, I've given you the authority to speak to the wind and the waves. Now get up and get in your place and do what I taught you how to do. If you knew who you were in Christ, if you knew your authority, Kathleen, John, if you knew what your last name really is, if you knew the DNA inside of you, then this is not a questionable issue that we simply sit here and debate. Well, do we really have that kind of authority? When you have authority, act like you have authority. Don't negotiate with the enemy. Don't, don't build your house in the middle of a drought and then act like this is how it always is. A drought is not normal. A drought is a condition that must be broken. Man. 
So demonic harassment, things that happen in our lives that they, they just don't make sense. Um, Joel chapter 2, uh, it, it's prophesied um, that uh, God says these words, uh, I will give back to you what has been stolen from you. And then he uses the idea of um, uh, 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 locusts. That there, there is a swarm in Africa. Right, this is 2020. And there is a swarm of locusts as large as the state of Texas. That are, it's, they are saying the humanitarian crisis that's going to come because of these locusts eating this crop. And if you don't know anything about it, it's because you live in such a blessed place. But in Africa, man, there is going to be a humanitarian crisis coming because these locusts, they come in and they strip all of the crop to nothing. So, so this is a known fact in that part of the world. Uh, and so when Joel wrote about the thief, he uses the word picture of the locust that comes in and strips and eat everything. But it's actually an analogy about the enemy. And so God is promising that what the locusts have come in and taken from you. They've eaten everything. They've taken everything. What does that look like in our life? Man, when everything around you, when, when you just can't, you can't keep up with all the stuff that's breaking. All of the things that, are, that you're losing at. All of the things that you're just like, what? How? That's the locust. Don't learn to tolerate it. We, we become good at, at putting up with all of these things. So we adjust our life and our lifestyle. And instead of that, man, I'm telling you, recognize who you are. Stand in your authority and begin to say no more. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You have no right to be here. Here's what God said about me, about my situation, about my life. But if you don't know what he said, how do you speak it out? And that's what I mean when I tell you, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. So maybe it's demonic harassment that you need to break through in. Uh, you know, one point and the message is almost over. Uh, here's the second one. Personal renewal. Personal renewal. Uh, here's an interesting uh, thought about what it's like when your priorities get organized in your life and Jesus becomes number one. Luke chapter 10 uh, let me read it from my, um, my notes right here. It's, it's a really powerful, just, just quick story. Uh, Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village on their way to Jerusalem where a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Now let me just stop and comment. Mary and Martha, according to this, are sisters. Their brother is Lazarus. The same Lazarus that Jesus raises from the dead. So in that story about Lazarus, the two sisters send a message to Jesus. Jesus is away. They send a message and they say, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And if you don't get here, he's going to die. And then the Bible makes this comment that Jesus read the message and then stayed in that place three more days. Sometimes God's purpose is different than our purpose. So we think get here now and change this right now. And Jesus has a bigger purpose. Death is not the issue. Resurrection's the issue. It's not what happens to you that has to define you. It's what God can do with what happened to you that can define you. The way that he can call life and what the enemy intends for evil. God's job is that he can use it for good. So we find this really this, this powerful story. So uh, Mary and Martha are together. Um, they invite Jesus into the house to eat. Uh, so Mary sat at the Lord's feet. 
listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. Say that with me. Distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? This is passive aggressive. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? Not to me. I, I don't personally feel this way, but other people feel this way about her. You probably do too, Jesus. So let me just point out to you the thing that no one's talking about. <laughs> so Martha's distracted by the big dinner she's preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. <laughs> and Jesus' reply was, well, you are so right. What a lazy bones this sister of yours is. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. And there is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary, your sister, has discovered it. And I will not take it away from her. So personal renewal simply is the idea that when you recognize what's really important in life, and you prioritize above everything. Jesus taught the same thing when he taught about the seed being sowed. He said that a certain sower went out to sow scatter seed. And the seed fell in different places where it immediately could spring up. And here's what you want. You want that seed in your life. Because that seed produces. It brings back the reward, the, the, the manifestation of God's blessing. So Jesus is teaching that the seed lands in different places in our life and it springs up. And then Jesus said there are things that happen that come in to try to take away what God wants to do. And he said one of those things is that the cares of this life. What is this woman experiencing? The cares of this life. She's preoccupied with trying to do things for Jesus rather than doing things with Jesus. Instead of just being at his feet, being in his presence and soaking that up, she's, look, this is a righteous person. Don't read this woman as unrighteous. Don't read her as someone who doesn't love Jesus. She loves Jesus, but her priorities are whacked. She's about busy, <laughs> and her sister is about Jesus. And personal renewal is when your priorities, when you recognize all the other things Look, they have their place. I get that life is nuanced. Work is important. Uh, sports are important. Children are important. Relationships are important. Church is important. Paying bills is important. But never at the expense of your time with Jesus. Amen. So that what Jesus is teaching you is that, look, if you let these other things have the priority in your life, they're going to choke the life out of you. So come to me if you're weary and you're heavy laden. If you need life, come to me and prioritize me as the first and the most important and do it every day. You know what's really cool? Jesus said, this thing that she's learned shall not be taken away from her. I'll just point this out to you real quick. When Camille is up here worshiping, all of them do it. But Camille, uh, Camille, I enjoy watching her worship because Camille is not up here for your approval. She doesn't really care what any of us think, does she? I don't even know she's aware that we're watching. <laughs> the audience that she performs for is an audience of one. Yes. She does it with a heart unto Jesus. And if it aggravates you, then my response would be, this thing shall not be taken away from her. Yes. She's not wrong. You would be wrong. 
to steal from someone the joy of priority. I'm not having fun and you can't either. That's what you're really saying. I don't enjoy worship like that and you shouldn't either. It distracts me. Do the Broncos distract you? Do the Rockies distract you? Do the Nuggets distract you? It's okay to be loud and boisterous then. It's okay to be excited then, but not for Jesus, right? Wrong. He's the priority. He's the one that's worth getting excited about. He's the one who died for you. Not one athlete that gives a rip about you, man. Unless they're related to you or something like that. give you the other one here real quick. Just got to keep the message going. A cultural shift is maybe where we need a breakthrough at. We live in a day and a time where all they talk about is how divided our country is today. How evil the world is and how it's going the opposite direction. And for sure, when you look around and you can see the evidence that when Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you look around our country today, it's not the proof that we have a political problem. It's the proof that we have an enemy. Think about it. So we're so busy fighting with each other and thinking if I could just get my guy or my girl in the office then everything's going to be good. Why doesn't it ever change when your guy or girl gets in the office? Because our hope is not in a person. Our hope is in Jesus. And those things are, yes, they have importance that goes with them. Yes, yes, they're things that we need to deal with and be concerned about. But not at over Jesus. So we look at our world and we think to ourselves, oh, it's just what a, what a terrible time for children to be living. What a terrible time to be talking about the future. How about this week, man? W- w- coronavirus has affected so much with the stock market. The, I, look, I won't ask you to raise your hand rhetorical only, but many, many of us lost a lot this last week, didn't we? My point to you would just simply be this. You look around and you think to yourself, oh, it's so bad, it's so bad. Can I just tell you, yes, those things affect you, but if they have become the thing that you find your life in, your joy in, your peace in, you are in the wrong place to find life, joy, and peace. You can't find it in those things. You find it in Jesus. So maybe that breakthrough needs to happen in our world in a cultural shift. Acts chapter 19 is this powerful story where the apostle Paul uh, enters into a city called Ephesus that was such a, it was such a wicked pagan place. We tend to think to ourselves, it's never been worse in the world than it is today. Ha! There have been far worse times. Solomon said this 3,000 years ago. I'm sorry, 2,000 years ago. No. 3,000 years ago, Solomon said, uh, there is nothing new under the sun. So we tend to think that like it's never been like this before. That's not the truth of the matter. What has been, is, and will be again. And so Paul, there's this just powerful story. Let's get to the story. God gave Paul the power to work great miracles. People even took handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul's body. Look at this. And they carried them to everyone who was sick, and all of the sick people were healed. How many is all? all? I mean, come on. And evil spirits went out just because they took handkerchiefs that were in the presence of Paul. Uh, pieces of, of clothing. They could take the anointing on Paul's life was so strong, they could take pieces of his garment to people who were sick and just 
drop the garment on them and they'd be healed. That's powerful, man. And people that sell that stuff on TV, by the way, that is baloney. You don't sell the anointing. You don't market it. You don't sell it. You don't make a living off of it that way. It's wrong. It's wrong. All right. Some Jewish men started going around trying to force evil spirits uh, out of people by using the name of the Lord Jesus. They said to the spirits, look at, look at how this is worded, come out in the name of that same Jesus that Paul preaches about. Not the one that I preach about, not the one that I know, not the one that lives in me, that one that Paul's been talking about. Uh, seven sons of the high priest named Sceva were doing this. Obviously, they've had some uh, amount of success because uh, they've been building a reputation. What they're doing, here's what they're doing. They recognize that the authority to heal people, to drive out evil spirits, uh, it comes in the name of Jesus because of who Jesus is. So they saw an opportunity. Paul's not doing this for money, but we could go around back door and begin to tell people, hey, you want to be healed? Pay us a certain amount. And then they would say in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. And obviously up till this point, They've come across some low-level demonic activity, but now they're about to meet a demon who's not a pushover. This is important. So when an evil spirit said to them, uh, I know Jesus, and I have heard about Paul, these four words, but who are you? Gulp. Then the man with the evil spirit jumped on them and beat them up. They ran out of the house naked and bruised. When the Jews and the Gentiles in Ephesus heard about this, they were so frightened that they praised the name of the Lord Jesus. And then look at this cultural shift in this city. Many who were followers now started telling everyone about the evil things they had been doing. What, what is this right here? This is repentance. Some who had been practicing witchcraft even brought their books and burned them in the public square. The books were worth about 50,000 silver coins. So the Lord's message spread and became even more powerful. So what are we re reading? What we're reading here is that a city that was wicked, set in its ways against God. People do, even the believers were practicing wicked things. And all of a sudden, the presence of God came in and changed everything. Do you still believe it could happen in our city today? Lone Tree still has hope. Highlands Ranch has hope. Littleton has hope. Lakewood has hope. Denver has, even Inglewood has hope. Even Inglewood. A cultural shift is still possible in our world today. It's still possible in our world today. So how do these things take place? How does breakthrough happen? So the Bible teaches that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal weapons, not fleshly weapons, but they're spiritual weapons, mighty in God for the pulling down of a stronghold. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What is a stronghold? A stronghold in the Bible is the place where the enemy holds up and can operate from that place of safety. So a stronghold takes place inside of your mind. Just follow me for a moment. So the stronghold can be the place either that God rules from or that the enemy rules from. There's no neutrality in this. If God controls your mind, then you think God thoughts, you pray God prayers, and you operate in this life as a God follower. But if the enemy controls this, the battle for your life is fought in the seven or eight inches between this temple and that temple. Whoever wins this battle of the mind controls your destiny ultimately. 
the way you see things, the way you live, the way you practice your life. Look at me. Jesus said this about the devil, that he is the father of all lies. He's the father of lies. So the devil's greatest weapon, he steals, he kills, and he destroys. But how does he do that? He is a liar, and he will whisper a lie. How powerful is a lie? When you empower the lie by believing it, the lie can become your paradigm of truth. Even though it's a lie, it's your truth. And you will live your life according to what you think is true. So if you think that you have no chance, if you think that you don't know how to do relationships, if you think that you cannot be a good parent, if you think that you can't handle money, if you think that you can't do great things for God, if you think that you are stuck perpetually in a losing cycle, if that's who you see yourself as, you'll live your life that way. And I can stand up here and get excited and I can yell. But the problem is that when a person is deceived here, no matter what I say, they can't hear it because they've empowered a lie that's like a box over their head and their eyes and what they smell and what they taste is this lie. And so breakthrough, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down a stronghold. You don't negotiate with a stronghold. If the stronghold is the place that the enemy lives in, you destroy that stronghold. You pull that thing down in the name of Jesus and you set up God's authority in your life. Give God the place in your life to rule and reign from, man. That's what you do. So the weapons of our warfare, what are they? The first one, prayer. We always think of prayer as like the thing we do. Okay, we can't do anything else, so we'll pray. No! The thing you can do is pray. And we see prayer as such an ineffectual thing. So in our culture today, it's even gotten to the place where people say, hey, my thoughts and my prayers are with you. And we have politicians today saying, I don't want your prayers. I want your action. They don't realize prayer is action. It's invisible violence. It has an effect. But the devil is so skillful at lying. And he tells us, your prayers are meaningless. They're weak. They're pathetic. They don't do anything. So we find ourselves giving up on praying because of a lie. Not realizing that when Jesus teaches about prayer, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, don't give up, hang in there. And one of the most powerful stories about prayer comes from Daniel, the Old Testament Daniel. Chapter 10, these verses right here, look at this story. When the vision came to me, I'll need to find it in my notes real quick. When the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three whole weeks. How long? Three, three weeks, remember that. All that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat uh, or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing. Look at this description, with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. What is it telling us? That, that if God can open your eyes to what's going on in the spiritual realm around you, that you just simply, you can't smell it, you can't hear it, you can't taste it, but it's going on all around you. And when people come into contact with the supernatural, even when they can't see it, it can cause panic and fear. And suddenly all these people, even though they couldn't see it, are in fear. They're running away. 
So look at this real quick. Uh, so I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. And just then, a hand touched me and lifted me up, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. Ooh, that's good news. What if that angel would have said, Daniel, God does not like you. I've come to bring you bad news. <laughs> you are very precious to God. <laughs> so listen carefully to what I have to say. Stand up, for I've been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. And then he said, look at the words here. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request had been heard at that moment that you prayed in heaven. And I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, three weeks, right? The spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Not the physical prince of Persia, but the spiritual prince of Persia. Uh, Paul taught this about the enemy and how he works. He described him as the prince and the principality of the air. So between us and heaven, the enemy infiltrates to try to stop what God wants done on the earth. So when Jesus said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Those are fighting words. Those are fighting words, man. Those are not weak like, oh, there's a cute, those are fighting words. Your request had been heard in heaven, and I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit uh, prince of the kingdom of Persia. So here's what we've got. This is just a low-ranking angel that Daniel saw and described as incredible. Right? This guy's like a private the art, what, I, what would it have been like if Dan, Daniel had seen the archangel? I don't know if he would have lived. So this little angel says, the moment you prayed, God dispatched. Do you know that the word angel means messenger? So let me give you just a thought. Uh, Los Angeles means the city of angels. Isn't it funny that from that city comes all of the message to the rest of the world about how this culture thinks and sees things? Isn't that funny? Angels are messengers who carry answers from God so that when you pray, man, God releases that. That ministering or warring spirit comes to your aid. But in the middle of between that dispatch and earth, obviously, is a spiritual battle. And this angel is caught up in this battle. He can't get beyond. So an archangel has to come and help. And the archangel ends up doing battle so that this angel can just get on about God's business. Yeah. And he comes to the earth and he says, look, the moment you prayed, God heard your prayer and dispatched me. But it took me three weeks to get here. I'll just make this statement. How many of us give up on the 20th day? The battle is too long. The battle is too hard. The devil is so effective at telling us, God doesn't hear your, your prayers don't matter. Nothing's going to change. And if you begin to repeat what the enemy says, your faith can cancel the very answer that you've been praying for. Oh. 
So I wonder if heaven will be a place that reveals all of the answers to our prayers that were moments away that we just... For time's sake, I just can't stay there. Um, the next one, weapon of our warfare, fasting. Excited about that one? <laughs> one of my pastors, Pastor Amy, one of our children's pastors, had this really cool insight. She said that um, in one of the confrontations with the enemy, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration while all the other disciples were at the bottom of the hill, and a bunch of people... Uh, who still needed healing, came to the disciples. And one of them had a son who was tormented by um, a, a demonic spirit of suicide. Yes. And he wanted his son to be healed. So the disciples prayed for his son and nothing happened. <coughs> so that when Jesus comes down, the man says to them, Hey, my son is being tormented and I asked your disciples to help, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus looks at him and it's done with. And the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, um, <laughs> we did exactly what you told us to do and nothing happened. And yet you, what's the deal? And Jesus just said, this kind can only come out by fasting and prayer. Some of them can be dealt with easily and some of them are more embedded. And so when we fast, maybe like once a year, if... We'll fast for breakthrough. Jesus fasted as a lifestyle so that whatever moment came his way, he was prepared to handle it. He didn't have to go away and fast. He was already in that place. That make any sense? So there's a difference between doing something uh, on an occasion, and I bless that, but there's a difference between doing it on occasion and making it a lifestyle. Your spiritual life should be a lifestyle, not something you practice once a week. I hoped you would cheer more for that, but that's, that's all right. Uh, Isaiah 58, the powerful scripture. Listen to this. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? A yoke is that thing that binds you to something that won't let you go. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, you clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That's an important issue right there. We're always thinking, God, go before me. The problem is that sometimes we get so focused on the front that the devil comes in in other ways that we're not paying attention. And what God is saying right here is, get this lifestyle and I'll guard you front, rear, side. The enemy will find no way to attack you. The best battle is the one you don't have to fight. Steve, you hear that? The best battle is the one you don't ever have to fight. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of fingers and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. 
The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the old age-old foundations, and you will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorer of streets that have dwellings on them. When I was reading this, the reason I couldn't stop, every verse I read had more. Every verse I read, I'm like, yes, God. And when it came to that part, if you'll do this, if you'll make your lifestyle about spiritual things, you will be known as people who repair the breach. What is he talking about? So if I could take you to Israel, and I can. <laughs> but one of the things you'll experience when we come into the old city of Jerusalem is that the walls are still around the city because in that day and time when this was written, the way that a city was protected was that it had massive walls around it and they would close the gates at nighttime so that it couldn't be infiltrated and ransacked and, and, and burnt to the ground by an enemy. And so what would happen is that an enemy would come and their preferred method, if they couldn't get the city to surrender, was to knock the walls down so that they could come and go at will. And so he's making this statement uh, as a word picture. A person's life spiritually can be like a fortified city whose gates and walls have been knocked down. And you, can't st you don't like it, but the enemy can come and go at will. And God is saying, if you make this your lifestyle, you will be known as people who repaired the breach. So here's what he's saying. I will form a hedge around you that no devil can penetrate, that no enemy can come through. I will make it where you are protected and everything around you might be unsafe, but you will dwell in safety. I will give you a table in the presence of your enemies. Man, is this not the kind of fast that I have chosen, says the Lord. When we fast, you know, fasting is it's an Old, old uh, Testament, New Testament concept. Not much done in our day, except recently people have discovered that uh, fasting is healthy. Yep. And here the Bible's been saying it for thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. Here's this new thing. Um, how do I want to do this? Just fasting doesn't have... The idea of fasting is that instead of feeding your flesh, you, you weaken your flesh so that you can strengthen your spirit. So that when you fast and you don't eat, you're weakening your flesh. You're not supposed to sit there and mourn food. You're supposed to sit there and turn to God during that time. Yeah. Eat spiritual food. Yeah. All right, now listen to me real quick. Today in our age, food generally is not such a problem. Most of us know where our next meal is coming from. So what does feed our flesh? Media? Three of us act like we know what media. The rest of us, media. Hmm. How do you spell that, Pastor? Uh, D-E-V-I-L. Um, <laughs> we turn to things that our flesh loves to do that in and of themselves, they're amoral. They're not right or wrong. They're amoral. But when they become the thing that we turn to, our flesh loves our fleshes. So our flesh gets really, really fed well. It's plump and it's satisfied. But flesh is death. And our spirit man ends up just... And, and Paul himself said, I pray that you'd be strengthened in the inner man. So if you can be strengthened, that means you can be weakened. Yep. Yes. So some of us need our inner man pumped up, man. 
He needs to be paid attention to and he needs to be fed so that when we fast, it's not always just food. It can be media that you can fast from. It can be a relationship that you fast from. It can be an activity that you fast from. But you give that thing up in order to give time to God. I don't have time to teach much more on that right now. Here's the third weapon of warfare that we've got. Giving. You knew I'd work this one in, huh? Acts chapter 10 is this powerful teaching on what giving can do. It has to do with a man named Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Remember, Rome was the power of the world in that day, and they had uh, uh, infiltrated all of the known world and set up their stronghold in that place that belonged to God. This Cornelius, however, was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms. What's the word say? One more time. He gave alms and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he had observed him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? So the angel said to him, look at this sentence. Your prayers and your have come up for a memorial before God. Sometimes it's not just what you're saying that's a weapon, but what you can give can be a weapon too. So, So here's the lie. We live in an area that has, for the most part, high income but little wealth. High income but little wealth. Why? Why, 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 why? Because the enemy is so skillful at getting people who even love God to so leverage themselves buying stuff that when they hear a message about, hey, use what you have to be an effective tool against battling the enemy and setting yourself in a righteous place so that what you're doing comes up before God. Even the people that love God, when they believe the lie that the enemy tells them about your love and your satisfaction and your life is found in temporal stuff, even the people of God can become so leveraged that the message about using what you have to do good things, they'll, they, they love the message, but they can't do anything with it because the devil has convinced them to be so leveraged in what they have. And that's a shame, man. Because then the message is just like, Pastor, uh, that, I, I get it, but I can't do anything about it, so don't talk about it. No, no, no. Get yourself in a place where all that you have can be used as an effective tool to knock down the works of the devil, to set the kingdom of God going forward, man. When you are willing to use all that you have and give it back to God, God is so pleased. He will bless you so many ways. We find ourselves, we'll hear that message and we're like, "Ah, how about Malachi? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your land. And the vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. How would you like your household to be known as the land of delight? God. So we pray these like, Lord, why don't you do those things? Because we believe the lie. We've put our lives in stuff. By the way, stuff is amoral too. Nothing wrong with stuff unless the stuff has you. Do you get what I mean? Uh, Okay. Uh, Look, I'm okay. 
right? I ate. I'm all good now, so don't, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Here's the fourth weapon, worship. The weapon of worship. Uh, here's this really fantastic story about how worship, it's not, so the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons. They're not swords and they're not spears and they're not pistols and they're not rifles. They're not bombs. The weapons of our warfare are the tools that God puts in our hands to pray and to fast and to give and to worship. And what it does to the enemy, man, it's invisible violence that destroys his kingdom. It tears down the works of the devil. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, is the story about uh, an obscure king in Judah uh, and in Jerusalem at that time named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat finds himself uh, as the king of Israel being surrounded by an enemy nation and they're outmanned. I can't remember if it's 8 to 1 or 10 to 1. The point simply is that this is not going to be a fair fight. Uh, they, they are so outmanned that no matter what they do, they can't win the battle. And they have a ruthless enemy that is not looking for them to surrender. This enemy is looking for them to die. So they cannot win the battle. And Jehoshaphat's like, I, I don't know what to do. So that's where we pick up the story. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoph Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed soldiers. Are you listening to me? Yes. One more time. The king appointed singers. That does not seem like the greatest strategy. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, put the singers and the leapers out in the front. Let's see what happens. You imagine if you're the army watching this, like, what are they doing? <laughs> After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon... Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of their enemy had escaped. The best battle is the one you never have to fight. So get the picture here. In the face of overwhelming odds, God's people raise their hands and begin to remind God of his faithfulness. How awesome you are. How great you are. How powerful you are. And God himself goes out to battle. And the enemy turns against himself. So the rest of the story goes this way. There was so much plunder that the men <laughs> went out to pick it up they had to make three trips to carry it all. And can you imagine those guys coming home and bragging to their wives? Look what I did. How'd you do it? We sang a song. Let me clean your sword. No need. So I'm just going to say something real quickly to you. Man, we need to come to a place where 
regardless of what's going on in our lives, our first response is to do this. To not see this as weak, ineffectual, a waste of time. To not see this as something that you do when everything else has been taken care of. Uh, That's the last thing. No, this is the first thing. That when you're facing insurmountable odds, an enemy who has no mercy, a situation that has no remedy, you're outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, unable, ineffectual, you don't have a strategy, you don't have a plan, that's when you know it's time to raise your hands and begin to worship your God. Throw yourself over the cliff at him. Take away all the other things and all the other options. Quit living your life divided on this side of the fence and that side of the fence. Part of me is in the world and part of me is with God. No, 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 no. Get off the fence, man. How long will you linger between two opinions? Get one opinion, cut off all the other odds, all the other obstacles, and tell yourself, I'm a follower of God. I'm going to live my life this way right here. Begin to worship God in the face of whatever you face. If it's health, worship. If it's relationship, worship. If it's your children going sideways, worship. If it's things that you just simply can't control. If I identified things where the enemy is stealing, killing, and destroying, don't get mad about it. Don't cuss about it. Don't throw a fit about it. Don't get mad at me for exposing it. Do this. You are awesome. You are powerful, and nothing can defeat you. You are 10,000 and 0. Let's make it 10,000 and 1 today. The unbeatable, the incredible, the almighty. And does the message touch you in any place where you're like, I need that? So if you can hear this and just be unmoved, oh, Come on, man, a stronghold has grabbed you. It's tied up your emotions and tied up your faith and tied up your hope and tied up your joy. Maybe you have a lot of strength and you think, I can outlast this thing. Your strength will be eaten before it's all said and done. You need God to fight your battle. You need God to be strong on your behalf. You need God to rise up and enter your situation. We've got this last song that Mariah will sing right now, and it is a powerful song. And I'm going to encourage you to do something right now that maybe you'd be like, Pastor, I don't know if I can do that. Abandon yourself in worship right now. Don't stand there passively watching other people get into God. You get into God. And if you say, well, I I would be embarrassed to do that. Come on, man. Break that stronghold in your life. Give yourself to the things of God and not to the things of this world any longer. Give yourself to it. It, It's not a cultural thing that we're talking about. It's a God thing that we're talking about. Give yourself to it. Give your whole heart to it. Enter in. and, And if you... Think about whatever that thing is that you need breakthrough and then just worship God because the best battle you'll ever fight is the one you don't have to lift a finger to fight. Let your gods be strong on your behalf. So, Father, I just commit this to you, this opportunity, this time. God, the victory, the glory, and the honor belong to you. It's our joy to follow you into battle. Father, be strong on behalf of your people right now. Raise yourself up in righteousness over our situation. Confuse the enemy and cause him to destroy himself. 
God, what the enemy stole and you said you'd give back. What's been plundered, Father God, you said you would return to us. Jesus himself said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So the enemy may be skillful at killing, stealing, and destroying, but our God is more, more skillful. There's no negotiation. There's no, like, who's going to win? God wins. And that's whose side you're on. So I want you to stand to your feet right now. As we sing this song, just enter into this time. Abandon yourself to him. Get your eyes off the clock and the eyes off all the other stuff. We have a few minutes to do this right now. If you can delay having to leave, give yourself this time right now to see a victory in your life.